The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I promise you I'm going to get to a number of your texts because so many coming in about um, where the farthest north is that you've uh, ever visited and your favorite place in the world. Well, I promise I'll get to them. But uh, some big news of the day that I want to get to first as well. As you've been hearing, after more than three years of investigation, the inquiry examining missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls has handed down its final report to the federal government. Marion Bueller, the uh, chief commissioner of the MM. IWG inquiry gave remarks at a ceremony in Gatineau, Quebec this morning, arguing the importance of Indigenous-led solutions and the need for all Canadians to take part. The murders, the abductions, the human trafficking, the beatings, the rapes, the violence, and yes, the genocide will continue unless all Canadians find the strength courage and vision to build a new decolonized relationship with each other. The inquiry heard from more than 2,300 people, and its report contains more than 200 recommendations to multiple levels of government. Commissioner Kayak Robinson says restoring identity is key. We call for the immediate elimination of all gender discrimination in the Indian Act, and in all laws. Further, Indigenous people define who they are. Governments don't. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has received the report. He says he is humbled and grateful to do so. He says the justice system has failed Indigenous people and outlined the various ways his government was already responding to it and what more will be done. We're working with Indigenous communities to improve health and wellness by investing in essential infrastructure, including housing, and eliminating boil water advisories. We're also working together to better support the inherent jurisdiction of Indigenous peoples in areas like education, governance, and child and family services. And we just recently introduced legislation to help ensure the survival and revival of Indigenous languages. But we know there is much, much more left to do. And today is one more step on our path to reconciliation. We will conduct a thorough review of this report, and we will develop and implement a national action plan to address violence against Indigenous women, girls, and LGBTQ and Two-Spirit people. We will work... We will work with Indigenous partners to determine next steps, and we will include the perspectives and full participation of Indigenous women and girls. We will also include the voices of Indigenous LGBTQ and Two-Spirit people with lived experience, as well as the family members of victims and survivors of violence. The Commission has outlined a way forward, and you have my word that my government will turn the inquiry's call for justice into real, meaningful, Indigenous-led action. 
That is Prime Minister Trudeau speaking uh, earlier today. Now, the report includes calls for urgent action from numerous officials, such as health service providers across Canada, to develop programs that could help young people recognize the signs of being targeted for exploitation, including sex trafficking. Joining me now is Amy Wilson, the executive director of the Action Coalition, an organization who is working to see an Alberta free of all forms of human trafficking. Hi, Amy. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you very much. So, Amy, uh, listening to that today, and specifically, I guess, you know, for for the work that you do, uh, you know, the development of programs that could help young people recognize the signs of being targeted for exploitation, including sex trafficking, um, that um, must be, unfortunately... um, some good news for the work that you do that uh, someone is hopefully going to uh, do a little bit more on this front. Yeah, it's very sad, of course, um, but not surprising to see the the results of this inquiry. And um, human trafficking is a crime that's really not well understood and it's, it's often very underground and difficult to identify. So we're always really pleased when people are taking it seriously and putting more resources toward it and um, working hopefully collaboratively to address some of the issues that um, create situations where people are um, vulnerable to being trafficked. Amy, uh, interesting on your on your website, the Action Coalition, there was the, um, it was a quick fact, the trafficking in persons in Canada in 2016. So kind of like the latest numbers. Um, but, you know, some of the some of the things in there, you know, more than half of the human trafficking incidents involve another offense, usually prostitution, victims of human trafficking, most often young women does a breakdown as well. Um, kind of, you know, where, where this is coming from. I think there's, there's folks out there that say, you know, it's not happening here in Alberta, but we know it is, you know it is. We're seeing reports in the news. Um, how often is this happening? I suspect a lot more than we know. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the challenges with human trafficking is that, as I said earlier, it's, it's not well understood. Often portrayals of human trafficking are really sensationalized and people expect it to look like a movie where somebody's grabbed off the street and thrown into a trunk of a car. And Sometimes that happens, but more often it's something, um, you know, more often the individual knows the perpetrator. It might be um, a a relationship of trust or quite often is a relationship of trust. And the forms of coercion that people use um, can often be really subtle or things that are difficult for people to see from the outside. So sometimes people are really surprised um, to hear that it happens here, but it it absolutely does. And and we work around... um, the issue of human trafficking for the purposes of sexual exploitation as well as labor exploitation and um, both of those types of exploitation happen across the province. So when you're talking about those signs um, that you say can be somewhat you know sometimes can be uh, uh, you know a little bit more discreet sometimes it can be a little bit more obvious what signs are they what what should we be looking for what should people be looking for? Well by nature human trafficking is coercive so if people don't seem to have um, control over mm-hmm. um, what they're doing, where they're going, that type of thing. Um, we often give a lot of cautions or caveats when we talk about that, though, because sometimes those indications can be um, can be for other reasons. So it's really important not to jump to conclusions or make assumptions. Um, quite often, the, the most important way that we can understand a human's experience 
or an individual's experience with trafficking is just by, through relationship. And sometimes it takes a couple of meetings and a couple of conversations with them to understand really what's going on. Does this happen in, in small communities as well? I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks think, oh, it just must happen in big cities and, you know, cross borders, you know, from, you know, the, U- the U.S., maybe into Canada. But this happens everywhere, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So we are a provincial organization and we work across the province and we have seen human trafficking in in small places, in, in rural areas, in, in the, the major cities as well as the medium cities. It, it, it happens everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, it, again, with some of the stuff that I was re- reading today, talking about some of the um, the factors that can contribute to um, uh, human trafficking, you know, push and pull factors is what they're called. Push factors may include extreme poverty, unemployment, lack of education, inadequate social programs, gender-based inequality, war, conflict situations. Pull factors may uh, include include a globalized free market economy that has increased the demand for cheap labor. Victims may be pulled into trafficking through the promise of money and what is seen as a a better life. And I think, you know, some of the stuff that we've seen in Edmonton over the past number of years, um, whether, you know, there there, there has been, you know, uh, sex trafficking, certainly, but also um, just employment, getting people in here, um, getting them to do work, to do labor, and then, you know, doing stuff like keeping their visas or their passports. and, And that's when, you know, that, that control that you've talked about when they have no options to get out of it. Um, you know, that's kind of um, some of the stuff that we've seen that I remember recently uh, in this province. How do those folks get out of this, Amy? It's very challenging. And we know that um, it's, um, well, it's underreported and, and a lot of a lot of people don't. Um, often it's, it's again through a relationship so so finding somebody in the community that can support them through um sometimes sometimes getting out of the situation can be very dangerous yeah um so people need they need somebody that they can trust they need somebody sometimes at another at an organization or somebody for example um, a healthcare professional sometimes or somebody within their community um who can can support them and and um and and kind of keep them safe um so yeah it can be it can be really challenging and certainly sometimes if people maybe don't have you know if if english isn't the the, their first language that sort of thing you know the communication barriers can cause real problems as well but you know just reading this list you know withholding identification documents imposing strict rules limitation of movement threats and violence and uh, i'm guessing that oftentimes those threats and violence are very real and happen um a lot they do. And the other piece to the threats of violence is that sometimes that isn't just toward the individual themselves. Sometimes it could be towards loved ones. Mm. And and that can be um, as or more coercive than the threats of violence to, to that individual. Um, and we even see sometimes threats of violence toward a pet um, or yeah another yeah. person. So um, yeah, the, the, the violence part of it is very real. Okay. Um, Amy, what about um, the perpetrators uh, in this? How often are they getting caught? How often are they being, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, are they going to jail? Are they getting persecuted? You know, the full extent of the law. Is it difficult to, you know, build cases against these people? It is challenging. Um, actually, our, our laws related specifically to human trafficking are relatively new, so there isn't a lot of case law. Um, and then often what happens is that people, if it ever does go to court, if they ever do get charged and if they ever do get um, apprehended, um, sometimes 
they will end up pleading down. Mm. So they're not necessarily being convicted on human trafficking charges, but some other lesser offenses um, is what we would most often see. Uh, well, you know what? Thank you for the work that you're doing. I wish um, I wish there wasn't a need for the work that you were doing, but I'm certainly glad that there's organizations uh, like the Action Coalition out there um, helping helping these people. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. All right, Amy Wilson from the Action Coalition. Uh, just back to the to, to the inquiry that we were telling you about earlier today. Um, just some numbers that I found uh, interesting. And I've been covering this for on and off for thirty years now, and I've I've talked to people whose whose loved ones who have have gone missing um, and have turned up uh, dead. The number of missing and murdered Indigenous women believed to be in the thousands in Canada. The report says that despite the Commission's best efforts, though, to quantify the extent of the tragedy, no one knows an exact number. Now, in 2005, the Native Women's Association of Canada created a database that tracked cases and produced a report in 2010 documenting 582 missing and murdered Indigenous women. In 2014... The Mounties uh, then released a national overview and pegged the number of cases between 1980 and 2012 at nearly 1,200. But other unverified estimates are far higher. So if you look at the numbers, they're uh, rather staggering, isn't it? Uh, the Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett says the federal government will now have to focus on eliminating racism and sexism in policing and other institutions as well as accelerating progress on child welfare reforms. Um, more information at 630Ched.com. We'll have uh, the latest uh, and more reaction throughout the day right here on 630Ched. You can get a hold of me anytime at 630630. The uh, phone number here is 4960063. It's Jay Lynn, the afternoon news. And all of you texting in this afternoon, I had mentioned, <laughs> I had mentioned uh, that I was in Yellowknife last week for an Air Force conference. So we were learning about um, how uh, how the uh, the Air Force, the military, is is doing their job in in the Arctic, and it was it was fairly it was it was really fascinating when you think about uh, the 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 land mass up there and the limited number of of people got to spend some time with Canadian Rangers and 440 Squadron uh, up in Yellowknife, and so I'd asked, I'd said that Yellowknife was a pretty neat place, and I'd like to go back and spend a little bit more time there. Uh, I had been to Whitehorse before. Uh, I did a when I was with global i had done a feature on the yukon quest sled dog race and that was uh spectacularly gorgeous uh, up there it was in the middle of winter and it was cold but it was absolutely beautiful uh, yellow knife had never been to before i've been to resolute to the Arctic Training Facility uh, up there, the military's Arctic Training Facility up there. But it didn't get to spend much time in Resolute. Uh, flew up on a Herc with the 1st Battalion as they were they were jumping into the Arctic as a part of, uh, I think it was called um, Exercise Arctic Ram, uh, which, was, which was a really neat exercise to watch them parachute, like jump out of the side of a Herc and, uh, you know, plunge into this real darkness, uh, into this desert arctic snow and yeah it, it was just amazing but again we didn't have a lot of time on the ground there because of some uh, flight issues but asking you how far north you had been and what you'd like sean says high level and his favorite place is uh, cape breton daryl former military guy hall beach and resolute bay uh 
And Greable Beaver says the farthest north for myself is Rankin Inlet for work. The nicest is Whitehorse. Lots of folks really loving Whitehorse. Now, when I was up there, I had a couple text messages from a girl by the name of Joy that I'd gone to college with. And we were trying to get together. Now, listen to this. She has lived in Yellowknife. Her family's lived in Yellowknife for the past five years. They are moving to Fiji this week. Talk about polar opposites right there. Uh, farthest north is Inuvik. And my favorite place in the world is on the banks of the Yukon River or sitting on Pilot's Monument looking over Great Slave Lake in Yellowknife. Just there. Just there. We went to a place as a restaurant just down below that to the Pilots Monument called uh, Bullock's Bistro. Really interesting. Great feed of pickerel that afternoon. Uh, David says, I've been to Inuvik for work in May. It is daylight after midnight. Yeah, it was daylight in Yellowknife, let me tell you. Uh, Ryan says, Jay, the furthest north I've been is Taktayoitak. I went up there when I used to live in Hay River. I traveled there for territorial trials for the Arctic Winter or no, territorial trials for the Arctic Winter Games in late January for wrestling. It was around minus 70 degrees and it was a lot of fun. A lot of you have traveled north. Uh, the furthest my husband Rick has been is Taktayoitak, lots of sun but no trees. He says it's very different up there. This one says, been to Fairbanks a few times. Thanks for the text. And David says, Arctic Bay, none of it. It's beautiful around the corner from where the icebergs break off. Uh, Jay Lynn, I spent 35 years in Yellowknife and loved every minute of it. Raised our son there. Not once was he ever bullied through 12 years of school. Uh, the Yukon. Is that Yukon or Yellowknife? I'm guessing Yellowknife is the best kept secret in North America. Best bar none. Furthest north I got was Elif Ringes Island. I uh, was hoping it was helping to dismantle an old dew line at the weather station. It rocks up there. Um, this one I had to Google. It's Jan. My husband, myself, and three young children lived in Grease Fjord, which is on the southern tip of Ellesmere Island for 10 months. The closest neighbor was Greenland. Our whole family loved living anywhere in Canada's north, especially above the Arctic Circle. Uh, my father-in-law used to work in the Arctic. He was one of the first, uh, you know, guys up there to, uh, when they started drilling for oil up, uh, up north years and years and years ago, he lived in a, a bunch of different places, including Ellesmere Island, uh, Resolute, Baffin Island. Uh, so many of you texting in saying the same thing as, as well. Um, someone says, I'm sure you'd rather visit your friend in Fiji than Yellowknife. Well, yeah, okay. And then someone says, probably walleye, not pickerel. Well, they called it pickerel on the menu. So we can have that argument, the walleye pickerel argument another day. We've had it on this show. Um, and to me, I know there's folks out there like, oh, they're two different fish. Walleye pickerel to me are interchangeable. Don't text me. Don't at me on Twitter. All I know is they both taste really great.